Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Love Yourself Fiercely. Today's guest, Diane Hatka, is an identity and embodiment coach, and she's kind of a badass. I'm obsessed with her content. But her journey began a few years ago when she found herself deeply dissatisfied in her marriage. She felt lost, alone, and disconnected from herself. Through navigating those feelings and trying some non-conventional methods to shifting their relationship led to a huge awakening from her, for her. Since then, they've, she's been on a journey of connecting with herself fully, and now she supports women in doing the same. Diane, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I truly am obsessed with your content. You're like a breath of fresh air in the industry, really just doing it your way, right? Uh, your content is so your way and I love it. I just want to point that out before we get going. Well, thank you. It's taken a lot to settle into that. Um, and it's almost my, I have a little rebel in me who's like, I don't want to, can we curse on here? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rebel in me is like, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking do what everyone else is doing. Like I see, I'm like, how can I not do this? So it's been a journey for sure, but thank you. I feel like that's a lot of pressure. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. I have to provide today. No, 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 no. But that's what I love about you is you just speak from your heart, right? No matter what, um, little voice in your head is going to be like, this is out of the box. This is out of is non-conventional. And, um, I think it's necessary the more we stand in our power and talk about the things that are really happening in our real life and our own evolution, that's where we get to make transformational change for our clients. So I think it's amazing that you are like, Hey, let's talk about the shit that's not working in the industry and let's talk about how we can do it differently. Um, but before we like dive right into the business stuff, take us on a journey with you. Tell us your story in your own words of where this whole evolution or self-discovery process began and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, where do I start? <laughs> I've always been super curious, which is interesting. The more I learn about myself through other modalities, like I'm really into human design into gene keys. I'm learning more about my Enneagram and all of it actually speaks to who I am at my core. Like if I, you know, now that I'm stripping back the layers and when I was younger, I think I was in touch with a lot of that to an extent, you know, when you're younger, you, you, you know, you're trying to fit in all of these ways, but I really lost touch with that over the years. Um, I went to grad school for psychology. I'm obsessed with how the human mind works. I'm always asking questions. It's fascinating to me with fascinating to me, left grad school, finished grad school, couldn't find a job. In my local area started a meal prep company, which is almost seven years old. It's wow. birthday is October 10th. I know we're recording this before so it launches. So yeah. I'm pretty sure October 10th is the day I filed for my LLC. Um, and that's been its own journey. And, um, and right before I started that, I met my husband. So my husband and I start dating. He was in the military at the time. He um, also bought a gym right around the time that I was starting primal, my meal prep company. And so we were just kind of like thrust early on into, in our relationship into just a lot of real life shit. Like, and I, I mean, you yeah. know, I know other people are too, but it was like, there was just, it was two businesses coming into a new relationship and trying to start all of this. And then, um, we had gotten engaged, but found out I was pregnant within like four days of our engagement. Mm. And because he was still in the military at the time, we thought that it would be best to get married quickly. And 
so we did, we got engaged in October, got married in December. And I think that that just the fast track of everything and how everything went down to set our relationship up for a lot of resentment and just, I wasn't ready to be pregnant. There was a lot going on underneath the surface. Um, there was a lot that we hadn't actually talked about, worked on. I'm terrible or I have been terrible about asking for support. So as we began this journey, um, together and with the new family and with the businesses, um, I started to just find myself really unhappy, but I didn't really talk about, I didn't, you know, you're just kind of supposed to do the things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really witness all of the conditioning around this. I say now, I'm like, if I had known better back then, I don't think I would have gotten married. Now our relationship has, which you kind of touched on, it's coming around. It's still not where either of us, I think really want it to be completely, but it's much better than it ever has been. We're still really working on that. Um, but yeah, I found myself in this place a couple years after we got married where I was just miserable. I was thinking terrible things in my mind about how I could potentially get out of this. I, you know, was afraid to actually talk to him about it. At the same time, I had almost financially run my business into the ground. So we grew pretty quickly over our first few years and me not understanding business. I didn't go to school for business. I don't teach you how to run a business. Nobody nope. taught you, you know, you don't learn finances. You don't learn any of this stuff. And so I took my poor relationship with money that I'm working on right now and brought it into my business. I took my spending habits and brought it into my business and I see explosive growth. And so I'm spending, we're growing and I'm, you know, making all of these purchases with cash. And next thing I know, I have no cash in the bank. I owe money on credit cards that have to be paid off every single month. And I'm about to not make payroll. So I'm in the process of getting alone. I'm also deeply unhappy in my marriage. And about the same time, all of these things came to a head and I hadn't told my husband anything about the business. He'd had no idea what kind of trouble it was in. And he had no idea how I was feeling. We were just kind of like tiptoeing around each other in this space that just didn't feel good. Pretending to be happy, pretending, just pretend, doing a lot of pretending, and I basically, I feel like I woke up one day and just kind of like stepped back and looked at myself and I was like, who is this person living my life? I, I felt so almost disassociated from myself and a sense of just like, I, that's not me. I was, it was like, I was watching someone in my body going through the motions of my life, but it didn't feel like me at all. Um, so I finally opened up to my husband about my business and I've been more open with him about that since. And I also realized I had to have a very hard conversation with him about how I was feeling in our marriage. And it actually, the way it happened, I actually heard a podcast from Aubrey Marcus. I don't know. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. Okay. It was him and his then, I don't know if they were still together at the point, but Whitney Miller, and they're talking about how it's completely normal for women to lose desire in long-term relationships. And while to an extent, I agree with that. I think that the, what the podcast touched on, I think it, there's a lot more nuances to it, but at the time that was what I, I was like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Like, these are the thoughts running through my mind. And it felt like a good way to introduce this to him because this was one of our big problems. I didn't want to be touched by him. I was repulsed mm -hmm. by him. I was like, don't touch me. I don't. And that's, you know, we both are sexual people. We want yeah. a sexual relationship and that's hard to have when you're like, I don't want you to touch me. So I basically sent him that podcast episode, which I'm sure for him was like, 
what the fuck. And I was like, <laughs> please just listen to this. I can't hold off on having this conversation any longer. This is how I'm feeling. Um, you know, let's talk about it. He was actually out of town. I always do things at like the worst moment. I was like, all right, listen yeah. to this. We'll talk about it when you get back in town. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what really kickstarted everything for us. One of the things that, yeah, it's been such a long journey, but one of the things that the podcast talked about in, in long-term relationships, when desire is lacking is potentially opening up the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you can get the sexual aspect of it fulfilled or whatever it is, right? Some people might have the sexual attraction, but they're missing something else. And so through dating someone else, you can have that connection that might be missing in your own relationship. Um, but for us, it was the sex. And so I was like, what if we open up our relationship and date other people? And then we can both get what we need there. So it took about, I think six months before it actually happened, but that's what we ended up doing for a little bit. And that's when I really had a huge awakening of these are all of the patterns that I've been stuck in. This is how I've been living my life. This is what I keep repeating. And if I don't actually go into that, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that was a long story of how I got to where I am now. And what were some of the patterns that you started to see as you navigated that part of your journey? The So this, the patterns I started to see here were really tied to relationships. Um, and a big one for me was witnessing my addiction to toxic, if you will, relationships. And I know everything is really a mirror in life. So as I continue my journey, it's so fun to witness how my relationship with money actually reflects my relationship, my romantic relationships, and even your relationship with yourself. Um, but that was one of the first things I saw because the person I started dating, um, he was not emotionally available. It was a very unhealthy relationship, lots of highs, lots of lows. And I think it took me getting back into that to recognize that this is something that I'm drawn to and almost addicted to, which I later actually realized has a lot to do with attachment styles. So Mm -hmm. if you struggle in relationships, I highly recommend learning your attachment style. Um, because my husband and I's relationship was always pretty even keel. We really fought. I mean, I'm like, can we please just have a fight? Like, let's argue something. I don't know. And, um, but it was even, so I just, I kind of got bored, but this relationship was either really good or really bad. And so you're always wanting to come back to that high when you're in the, in the bad. And so it was just this very addictive thing. And that's when I first recognized like, this is my pattern. How can I escape this? Mm -hmm. And I knew that, and this, you know, probably a little selfish on my end, but I was completely open with my husband. I told him, I was like, I'm recognizing this in myself. And I know that we can either end our relationship and I can work through this, you know, maybe on my own or maybe in the next relationship, or we can try and work together through this. Mm -hmm. So instead of running and being like, okay, you know, I'm just not happy here anymore. I'm, I have no desire for you. I chose to, stay and say, all right, I see this pattern. I don't know what it looks like to work through it right now, but I'm willing to do so because I don't want to keep repeating it. And luckily he was like, okay. I mean, I just want to, I just think we need to take a moment to celebrate your honesty and openness with your partner around what was lacking for you. And then some of the things that 
you know, you recognized along the way. I know there are people listening right now being like, oh my gosh, an open relationship, but it's much more common than I think um, we talk about openly. And I, 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 I'm curious to know his perspective on that particular time of your relationship. Yeah, he, he put on a front for a lot of it. He was like, yes, I'm open to it. He actually did date someone else for a while also. Um, we are no longer open, but it was, it was me trying to fill a hole in our relationship that this couldn't fill. So, and I don't want to deter people from an open relationship if that's for you. Um, but we came into it from a place of trying to put a bandaid on something that was broken. And I do not recommend this. If your relationship is whole and complete and you're like, we, we are very secure in who we are, um, then absolutely. But if you're trying to use this as kind of like a fix, it's probably not going to work. So he put on a front, he's like, yes, I'm okay with it. And he kind of went into the pain. I think he used it as his own tool for self-growth, or at least that's what he told himself was, this is really painful, but I can grow through the pain. And, um, I mean, his friends, everyone, we were like, we see through you, but my thing, and again, I know probably a little selfish of me, but my thing was, you know, we are trying to tap into honesty and communication here. And if he's not willing to actually be honest with me about how he's feeling, then that's on him, not on me. That's his growth to go through. Mm -hmm. And so while he said over and over again, he was okay with it and all of the things, it finally did eventually come out that he wasn't, but Mm -hmm. the process was very messy and I very ugly, you know, reflecting back on it. Um, And I think we both got a lot from it. We both learned a lot about ourselves. Not the route I would take. (laughs) So I tell people, I'm like, I did it. So you don't have to. (laughs) Let's talk about those lessons. But yeah, it was definitely hard for him. And it was, it was hard for me too. It was very interesting because I had no sexual desire for him. Still, it took a long time to really get that back. And even now, I think, you know, I had an idea of what went into that aspect of it. And now I'm finding that I think that there's so much more under the surface, um, including some hormonal issues that I'm still battling. So, mm-hmm. um, I totally just lost my train of thought there for a second. That's okay. It'll yeah. come back to you. It'll come back. Um, you know, I, I, and I'm curious and I, I hope if at any point you're like, I don't want to talk about that. Just say, I don't want to talk about that. Um, how were you guys navigating co-parenting during this time? That was, it was, um, interesting. So we actually lived together. I mm-hmm. ended up moving out for a year. Um, we lived together for, uh, I think we opened up in June or July. We've lived together for about five months through all of this. Mm-hmm. And part of it, we were open. We tried getting back together a couple of times. It only lasted for about a week. And then, and then we kind of separated again, dating other people. Oh, that's what I was saying. I was like, it was so hard for me watching him date someone else, which was interesting for me because I didn't have that desire, but there was still a connection there. And I, you know, I think ego attachment comes into some point, but so I think it was definitely much harder for him, but I definitely got a taste of what he was experiencing. Mm-hmm. So we had some blowouts around all of that, but co-parenting. So what we ended up doing, and I think this could be fun for any parents to try who might be going through it was we still had our own days. So I think I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he had uh 
Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and then we alternated Saturdays. So we were still in the home with Wyatt. We were still there for him, but it was like, if I wanted to make plans on one of my days, I didn't have to, you know, ask. It was like, that was my time to go do my thing if I wanted to. And then the next days were his. So, um, and then that's what we continued to do after I moved out. And I was like, this is actually kind of kind of nice, even if you are together, because I think so many couples, especially women get wrapped up in this guilt. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been a while since I've talked about this, but one thing I do recommend to women who are going through this is to maybe pick a day a week, each you and your husband get one day a week where it's like, this is my day off. It doesn't mean yeah. you can't interact with your kids. It doesn't mean you can't be there for them. But if you decide, Hey, I'm going to go have a me day. My me day is Tuesday. Husband's me day is Wednesday. If he takes advantage of that, great. If he doesn't, that's on him, but the opportunity is available for both of us. Mm-hmm. So, Actually, that's a really great, that's a really great strategy because you're right. Women a hundred percent just get riddled with guilt. And, you know, we carry so much of the emotional labor of the family that our, our exhaustion is real, even when there is free time. Um, you know, at least that's been my experience. And we have to be really conscious. My husband and I are really conscious about that too. Like our individuality matters. Our relationships with our friends and our family matter. And our, our relationships with ourselves matter. It's really important to us. So we're, we have to be really intentional. Uh, And it's been hella hard through the pandemic because he's been working from home since March, 2020. And we have no idea if it'll ever go back to the office. So uh, we're constantly surrounded by each other 24, seven, 365. We're at like day. I don't even know. I don't even know. 600. No, maybe not that much, but it feels like it. So it's important for couples and for parents to be able to say, Hey, I need space and I need to go and hang out with my friends. I need to go and be by myself. I need to take time to fuel my own soul. That's, that's really important. Yeah. And I think that we haven't gone back into that, but we did realize part through this process, um, how much we had really co co meshed or like just kind of come into each other and hadn't allowed ourselves that individuality, that space. Um, I think one big thing when we had one big blowout one night because we were out with friends and I'm, I like to be in bed by like nine. I'm not, I actually quit drinking last August, but at the time I wasn't really drinking a lot and we were out and he wanted to stay out with his friends and I wanted to go home. And there's this huge blowout. He's like, you won't let me stay. I was like, I'm telling you, you can stay out. I will Uber home or I will drive and you get like, and it was this huge thing. And we realized after that, we're like, wow, we, we feel like we have to do everything together. If one of us doesn't want to go, we won't say that. And so really this break gave us the opportunity to kind of see how we were doing that. And now we are both so much more comfortable just saying, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to go. Or, you know, like, it's fine. You go on your own or I'll take him and giving ourselves the freedom to come and go as we please with, you know, trying to keep things balanced between Wyatt. Um, but that was, this is also something I see in couples is where it's like everything they do, I have to do. And you don't have that freedom and you don't get that space. And so you lose yourself even in that alone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because that was my pattern forever and ever. Amen. And then I was single for six years and I was like, I am literally never giving this up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been really hard in the pandemic, but it is so incredibly important to be able to say, I really don't want to do that. I don't. It's not that I, I think, you know, it's not that I'm judging it. I just am not there today. Um, and being okay with, with letting our partners go out and enjoy their life and having space within your partnership for your partner to be like, yeah, go be you, go do you. There's so much power in that, that ability to not be codependent, that individuality. We couples become codependent on each other just naturally over time in so many different ways um, that are relatively healthy, right? We're codependent in parenting. We're codependent in running a, a household and managing finances. Those are important pieces of a, of a relationship, but that allowing space and, and open communication around your free time, your ability to do what, what you want without, you know, my husband is a huge football fan. I don't give a flying fuck up about the football. I don't, I really don't. And he goes to every game. They have season tickets. I'm like, bye, enjoy, go be with your friends, go enjoy football. And, you know, I don't have to be there for you for that, for that, or you don't have to be with me when I'm, I'm doing the things that I enjoy that you don't give a shit about. Like, why is that? So I often question why that's such a difficult thing for couples. And where does that come from? Where does that belief that we have to do everything together and like all of the same things? I don't get it. Yeah. I feel like it's not even something that we do intentionally. Some yeah. couples, there might be part of that, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A kind of like possessiveness. Mm-hmm. That can be its own thing. But I think that we just accidentally settle into it. And then especially when you throw kids into the mix, there starts to be some guilt around like, okay, well, if I go out with my friends and she's home with the kids, or if I go out with my friends and he's home with, he's home with the kid, or if I don't want to go, then he's having to take him to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I think that there's probably a lot of underlying stuff that we're not even aware of. And when we don't take the time to actually step back and witness it or to get uncomfortable, we we can't see it. And so a lot of that process is allowing yourself to, to kind of sit in the guilt if you have it and just recognize it and be aware of it and know that it's still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I see a lot of women who are like, well, I did this, but I still felt guilty. And then eventually they just fall back into the pattern because they don't know how to deal with the guilt and how to release it. And where do you believe the guilt comes from? Where do you think that stems from? Oh my gosh. <sighs> Probably conditioning. Um, that's, you know, I think it, it probably depends on an extent from person to person, but I'd say, I think it has to do with conditioning around how we think women are supposed to be specific, especially women in relationships. Mm -hmm. But honestly, the more men I talk to, they, they get it too. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know exactly. Honestly, I haven't, I luckily have not struggled too much with mom guilt. I see it in others Mm -hmm. a lot. That's been one area where oddly enough, I like my son is the one person that I feel the most at home with. And Mm -hmm. I also have been very mindful about guilt around him. Um, 
And I think sometimes I know for me, and I think maybe for others, it can be the guilt might feel like if there's an uneven balance. And so you want that balance in a relationship or at least some harmony. And it might feel like if you're taking more time to yourself and the balance is off and maybe your partner is more responsible for more of the relationship. Um, Also, I think that we have a lot of difficulty with receiving. Mm. And so yeah. guilt, you know, comes for now that I'm talking about it. I'm like, yes, okay. Receiving. So many of us want to give, 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 but we don't realize that on the other end of giving is a receiver. Mm-hmm. And many of us just aren't in tune with our ability to allow ourselves to receive. And it's so interesting too, because I talked to so many women who were like, my partner actually wants me to go do these things, but I'm not allowing myself to settle into perception of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that you brought up receiving because let's go here. This is so fun. Yeah. But I believe very strongly that um, it's conditioning and it's inner child, right? It's our inner child who saw what it meant, air quotes, to be a mother, what it meant, air quotes, to be a wife. And um, so we take that, right? So it's like what we were modeled. And then what society says we have to be as women and that we're so heavily in our masculine, right? It's all about control and controlling our environment and, um, you know, having control over our, our family. And that's a lot of that is subconscious, right? Like nobody can love my baby like me. Uh, that's not really true. I mean, it is and it isn't when it comes to like taking care of your child while you go and take care of yourself. Um, I think so much of it is that. And, and when we, when we are so heavily in our masculine and we've been conditioned to so heavily be in our masculine energy from the time we were four and entered the school system, truthfully, we are not connected with our feminine. We are not connected with receiving. We are not comfortable with it. We're not open to it. It feels very vulnerable and weak. And so we shut it down. We shut that whole openness and power within us as women down. We believe that that our role as a mother is feminine. It's not. It's masculine. We believe that our role as a partner is feminine. It's not. Most of the time it's masculine. And we create an imbalance in our partnerships, in our marriages. And that is where a lot of this comes from. It's like, we don't know how to let people love us. We don't know how to let people take care of us. We don't know how to let people, you know, we can't receive it until we recognize we're not right. That's where the guilt comes from. It comes from this imbalance of energy within us. And this belief that if I leave my, my family to fend for themselves, then the subconscious brain goes, that's not what a mother does. That's not what a wife does that that's why there's so much mom guilt in working moms right I can't boot I can't be both because then I suck at one of them or both of them I'm not enough I'm not giving it my all it's like we we are so heavily conditioned to believe that we're supposed to be so perfect and simultaneously we're resentful and burnt out and can't ask for help because we don't know how to receive it's wild yeah 
<laughs> Absolutely. I love, yes. And I love that you, so I, I like two things come to mind. One is I had a lot of fun asking, I think this is a couple months ago. I asked, I was like, what's better to give or to receive? It was just a poll in my stories. And it was so fun to see the answers um, or I was like, or both. Some people got or both, or it was all to give. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, and I think, you know, I said this a minute ago, but I was like, the truth is for every giver, there's a receiver. And so if you think it's better to risk, you know, to be a giver, are you saying that the person on the other side of that, that the receiver is less than, mm. because we never think that we never give to somebody and think I'm the giver. I'm, be- I mean, some people might, but we never think yeah, like I'm, I'm the giver. I'm better. And not only that, when we give, we actually receive a little bit too, because it makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And so I really like to kind of flip that and be like, well, what do you think is better and why? And have you recognized that on the other end of either is the opposite? Mm-hmm. Everything is polarity, right? So knowing that, how can you shift your view there? Right. And then bringing up the masculine feminine, that was actually something that did come up in our relationship. I really noticed that me being more in my masculine pushed my husband more into his feminine. And that was part of our sexual dysfunction is like, I'm not attracted to you when you are in your feminine at all. Yeah. I'm like repulsed by it. And because I wasn't allowing myself to be more in my feminine, he was naturally gravitating more, more towards his. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the lo- a lot on the podcast and, and in my containers, the harmonic balance, that's what I call it. And I always use the stupid example of the shoes at the door or the toothpaste cap. And like everybody's husband has that one thing they do consistently that you're like, fucking stop that. You're a grown man. And I've asked you a million times and, you know, let's use the toothpaste cap, for example, and you get up every morning and you go to the bathroom and before you even enter the bathroom, you're already pissed because you know, you've like decided that toothpaste cap is going to be left there from the night before and you're already pissed and sure enough it is and then you go and you give him shit about it and you treat him like a child in your masculine and he responds in his feminine so all children are in their feminine that's why they're like you need to keep them alive literally in your masculine because their job in life their sole job in life is to receive receive the food receive the cleanliness receive all of it right keep me alive. And, um, and so we do this, we have this, like these patterns in our relationship and we're so heavily in our masculine that our, our husbands, our men, our partners literally have no choice, but to lean into their feminine because too much masculine is toxic. Too much feminine is toxic. There's so our natural energies will find balance. And when we are too heavily in our masculine, we are not attracted to them. There's no desire there because we're filled with resentment and disappointment. And they're left with a sense of, I can't even be a man here, right? They don't necessarily know that in that language, recognize it in that language, but there's dissatisfaction across the board in the relationship. And when we understand these concepts, we as women get to consciously practice receiving to give our our men space to rise in their masculine. It's uncomfortable at first, right? Because we want to like, when they don't naturally rise, we're disappointed. And that's the most uncomfortable feeling a woman will ever feel. And also, we have to let them show up for us. And that's the hardest part. 
is like finding that balance. So I would love to hear what that, what the energetics are like in your relationship now. It's getting better. Um, and honestly, unless he's drinking for some reason when he drinks, and I think this is, I can't stand him when he's drinking. I think it's because he slips more into his feminine. He just, Mm. and I'm like, get away from me. (laughs) And I don't drink anymore. (laughs) And I think when I drink, I actually, I was slipping deeper into my masculine because it's always been there, but it's so interesting to see more clearly now. Um, but it's, I see him in a new light. So it's been really interesting as I settle more into my feminine, which is still, and it's a journey, right? Especially if you've been living in the masculine your whole life, we think that we can just flip a switch and change it. And it's like, no, it's been months and months and months. And, you know, going on since I really realized this pattern, probably a little over a year now, and I'm still not there. Like it's going to continue probably for the rest of my life, but to just witness him be more himself too. So I think, um, for us, we weren't even allowing each other to be in our own energies. And so we were really holding back a lot. So, um, yeah, he's been stepping more into himself. I've been stepping more into myself and the one place where I really consciously have been allowing myself to surrender into my feminine, which has been so much fun is in the bedroom. Boom. I say that every time. Yeah. That's the best place to play around. (laughs) And and I mean, and because, you know, I, I always, I was like, I don't, I wanted the lights off. Don't look at me. I would be kind of timid. And now, I mean, and there's still, I've, I'm still, I still catch myself like holding back a little bit and I'm like, what would it take to fully surrender? Right. It can be really uncomfortable even there, but he loves giving to me there. And I used to feel guilty about that. Even though I would let him, I used to feel guilt about that. Be like, well, he gave to me, I need to give to him. And and it's like, what if I just let him give to me and lead the way? And if he wants it, he'll let me know. Yeah. Right. And so that's really where I have been kind of tapping into that and allowing myself to practice is just, I'm, you give it to me and give it all to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm receiving, I'm open to it, whatever you want. I'm here. So it's been such a fun journey and it makes sex so much more fun. Cause you're not like yeah. embracing yourself in your masculine, trying to control it. You're just like, or in your head about, right. That's where the old paradigms come or the, the old beliefs come in. And, and it's like, am I doing this right? Am I good enough? Right. That whole, like, is he going to want something from me? I have every time I teach the energies, this is how I teach it. The, the easiest way to really get comfortable in your feminine is during sex and pleasure with your partner it's the one place that we're always pretty relaxed, right? In general, you've built a sexual relationship. Like that's just what we do. And so we're like, okay with being there. Right. And then you get to really play with like, let's see how far I can go and surrender. Let's see how much I can allow myself to receive. And the truth is any good man is going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. (laughs) Like, right. Like he's going to rise and, and you get to be comfortable being vulnerable and fully open with a a sexual partner you trust. Like, even if, even if you're struggling with your communication styles, you're struggling with emotional connection. If you're with that partner, chances are there's a level of trust. And so you're able to kind of relax into that. And the more you do it, 
the easier it gets, the more fun it gets to be, the more comfortable you get in your feminine. And in my experience, it allows us to deepen our emotional connection too. In my relationship, it allowed us to deepen our emotional connection. It allowed us to come back in play, right? So now you've got that like little side eye the next day as you're walking by each other in the kitchen, it brings the relationship back to life. And, you know, I have been consciously working on my feminine for over a year and a half. And I just want to say it is an evolution. It is a journey. There are still very many seasons of my life that I default to the masculine when I'm stressed, when I feel resentment or when, um, you know, my, my partner didn't show up exactly as, as I wanted them to. So there's some disappointment there around the real life experiences. I default into my masculine. It's the, it's the safest place for me. Right. And that's what you're saying too. That's the safest place that I know how to be. I'm safe there. I'm protected there. I can take care of my own shit there. And I don't have to rely on somebody because the, the ability to rely, the ability to trust and surrender to another person opens us up to pain, the possibility of pain. But sex is like, and who doesn't yeah. love a good, like who doesn't love a good orgasm? Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Two things came up. I lost word. Uh, there's something about sex and surrender. Um, I'll see if that one comes back, but something else I do want to touch on if you're single. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Let me go back to that. But I would, do you want to touch on if you're single? So my husband and I, as we began our journey together, we really realized that for so long we were having sex for the sake of orgasm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we both finished pretty quickly, so it's not really a problem. Um, but it was like, we weren't actually enjoying each other. It was like doing it to do it. And so our sex life has drastically moved from having sex to orgasm to just having sex to enjoy yeah, and being okay with like, I mean, like I said, we both finished, you know, probably TMI. So that's not really, hasn't really been an issue for us, but if there is a time where it's like one of us doesn't, it's fine. And then sometimes we don't, we used to always, it was always be sex. The other night we both finished no sex involved. It was all right? hands and mouth. And so it's like, right. So actually not making it a chore to be done right? Just to get to something at the end, which is orgasm, but actually enjoying it for whatever it turns out to be, however long it turns out to be and surrendering to that. Yeah. I love that piece. I I mean, this is a self-love podcast and I talk about this so much here when sex comes up. We, a lot of the time, none of us like a lot of the women who, who listen to this podcast have struggled with low self-worth and low self-esteem their whole life. I'm going to tell you right now, you used your body as a pawn to be enough and not for self self exploration. So many of us don't actually know what we want or need or desire in the bedroom. We just had sex to be a sexual partner. That's what I'm supposed to do when I'm in a relationship that, you know, let's make sure his needs are met. I have worked with grown women who, when I ask them about orgasm, they're not sure they've ever had one. And it's like, girl, this is about you now. And then I want to bring up what you said about being single. So a lot of the time I'll get messages after we talk about, you know, pleasure and how it's really helpful in deepening your connection with your own feminine energy. They're like, but I don't have a partner. Mm, You don't need one. You don't need a, a, a partner. And also when we talk about not knowing our own bodies, self-exploration and self-pleasure is the key to 
deepening your connection with yourself, your sensuality, your feminine energy. So when you are in a relationship, there's much more confidence there about saying what you need. You know, like I always joke, like never in my life prior to my current marriage, would I say a little to the left, babe, like you're not <laughs> hitting it. I would just be like, Oh, good. Okay. Let's do right, yeah. now. But, but the communication and the, and the knowing of my own body now, I'm able to really, in a loving way, communicate my desires. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on, on single women and how to, how to really get to that place. Yeah. I'm like, how freaky can you get with yourself? Yeah, for real. I mean, even in my relationship, because desire has been such a thing, sometimes it's been interesting because I've, I've learned to see desire in myself in so many different ways. I realized recently, I was like, sometimes I'm mentally turned on, like mentally want it, but physically I'm not. And there's like nothing that I shouldn't say nothing. And then, so that's been very interesting to kind of watch the different types of desire, even that flow through us. And then sometimes I want my husband. I'm like, I want that. And then other times I'm like, I want myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're single, absolutely what you said, you can still tap into that femininity. How can you allow yourself to receive from yourself? Mm. And so this is something that I, I've, I coach on also in any form of receiving, if you struggle with receiving, not just sex, how can you receive from yourself? How can you give to yourself a little bit every day and fully receive that? It could be standing in front of the mirror saying you are beautiful. Mm-hmm. It could be giving yourself compliments. It could be giving yourself a little bit of money and not just like sticking it in the jar and forgetting about it, but like taking a dollar or a quarter, whatever it is and be like, oh, I'm so, I'm giving myself this and I am receiving it. Right. But when it comes to sex and tapping into that femininity, it's like, instead of again, because when I was younger, I used to just masturbate to masturbate, right. Just to get to the orgasm. Now it's how long can I enjoy myself? Right. So I've started playing with, you know, how long can I play around here before I finish or, and I think it it goes a step further of playing with different types of orgasms once you're there. Mm Because mm-hmm. I didn't know until literally like six months ago that there are three different types of orgasm and the type of orgasm you have can kind of determine how you feel after. Right. Let's so, talk about that. Share those. Yeah. So I learned, so you can have um, a clitoral orgasm. You can have a G-spot orgasm or a cervical orgasm. Those are the three I'm aware of. And I'm sure that there are other kinds, but so I've always generally had, I can have all three. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always generally had clitoral ones. And after those, I'm done. I'm like orgasm. I'm done. I'm over it. Mood shut down. I was reading, I forget the name of the book. I'll have to get it back to you. But she explained, she was like a clitoral orgasm is an external orgasm. So the energy pushes out a G spot or a cervical orgasm is an internal. So the energy goes back in. And Ooh. so when you have that type of orgasm, it's when you're open to having more accord. That's what I read. And that's what I've experienced. So I started playing. I was like, I didn't know this was, it takes longer for a G spot or a clitoral in my experience. And from what I've read. Um, but I have found that after that type of orgasm, I actually do not shut down. My desire doesn't weigh. I'm like, yeah. I could keep going. So that can be a lot of fun just playing with that. And then of course, if, you know, I'm like, okay, I've been here for a while. (laughs) I'm ready to end this party. Then I'll just, you know, move, move. And, uh, it's good to go, but learning your body in that way. And so even if you're not comfortable doing it yet with a partner, getting comfortable doing it with yourself. 
-hmm. And the truth is, if you're not fully open to yourself, you're going to have a hard time opening to someone else in the way that you want to. Yeah. And I think think that's like, that's a mic drop moment right there. Just in general, we're talking about (laughs) sex, but like, let's talk about it across the board. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's one thing I, I'm kind of like, oh, if you can't love yourself, can you receive love from someone else? And I think, yes, others can love you, but that's the key word there is receive. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, yes, somebody might love you deeply, but if you don't love yourself, you're not going to receive that. You right. might, you know, so, um, and that's where the love yourself first, I think comes in and always. Yeah. And always, and you know, that is really why this podcast exists, right? We think self-love is like, uh, you know, you find it and then you're there. It's an evolution and it's a lifelong journey because life shifts all the time, right? We have, you know, different seasons of life where it's easy to love yourself. And then there are other seasons of life that it's not so easy to love ourselves, but it is the evolution of self. As we deepen the connection with ourself, we're, and we find love and respect within our own, um, our own relationship with self, then we can really, not only do we naturally then exude love and respect for the people that we care about outside of us, but we are able to receive their love and respect in a much deeper way. Um, and always you first, right? It's always me first. If I am not taking care of what I need and I am not giving myself the love and care and respect that I deserve. I can't then expect others to do that for me. And as mothers, we have a responsibility to model that to our, to our children, to change the narratives around how they love themselves. And so they're not waking up one day going like, what the fuck is my life? And how did I get here? I heard this question somewhere, so I can't claim it for myself, but I love it. I don't remember where I heard it, but, um, it was a conversation. I think it was another podcast I was listening to and two ladies were talking and one of the women realized she was like, I wasn't giving myself what I needed. And I was modeling that for my kids. And so one thing I like to ask is like, if this were your child feeling how you felt doing what you were doing, would you want this for them? Mm -hmm. And if you wouldn't want this for them, why is it acceptable for you? That was one of the very, well, I mean, my daughter was the beacon for my entire um, journey, but as I started to, you know, do the work and do the healing, I would often teach this to women who couldn't see themselves the way they see their kids. And it's like, if you wouldn't say that to your child, then why are you saying it to yourself? If you wouldn't do that to your child, why would you do it to yourself? And the truth is we are, we are our child. We are the child we once were and our inner child is so present in our current life. And we need to nurture ourselves the way we nurture our kids. We need to love ourselves the way we love our kids because what we do for us, our words have little, our loving words have little impact on our kids, but our actions are the game changer for them. And if we're, if we want to model, you know, what it means to be a powerful woman, a loving, powerful woman, we have, that starts with us. If we want to model to our sons how to love a powerful woman, that starts with us. 
that if we want to model to our sons how to cultivate a relationship, how to um, navigate difficulty in a relationship, our sons and our daughters, you know, we get to do that. We get to show them um, what it means to love yourself enough to, to show up in a way and ask for what you need and receive what you need and, and really change how society and media has modeled that for us, right? Because a lot of it is like everywhere you look, everyone's bitching about their husband. Every man's bitching about his wife. Nobody's fucking happy. It's accepted that that's what marriage is. Why is that the answer? Like th- being married is hard. Let's be honest. It can, it's not always easy, but why is that so normalized? It's the same reason it's, you know, mommy guilt is normalized. It's the same reason why body shaming is still so prevalent. Like, why are we doing that still? Yeah. It's the suck it up and carry on. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this is life but it's not like, this isn't living. No. And that's my whole mission is like, I want to move back into living. I want to move back into being drop out of the rat race in every way possible. Right. Not just when it comes to success and how we normally think it, but the rat race of marriage, the rat race of relationship, the rat race of sexuality, all of it, where we have just settled into this place where it's like, well, that's just life. Suck it up. It's like, but life right. can be so much juicier than this. Mm-hmm. If we allow ourselves to wake up to that and to see that, and yeah, is the journey going to be tough? Yes. But is it going to reap you more rewards than staying right where you are now? Absolutely. And, you know, you just said, is it, is it going to be tough? But the truth is I always say, and I always ask myself this too, it's already fucking hard. It, yeah. Right. You're already resentful. You're already unhappy, unfulfilled, and. Are you going to stay here or are you going to go through the, sh- the, the hard to get exactly what you want out of your life? You know, and I should specify that because I see a lot of people who perpetuate the idea that shadow work is hard and don't get me wrong. You have to go into some stuff. I think what I mean by tough or not what I think, but what I mean by tough really is that you actually have to do work. <laughs> Yeah, so you I have think to do a lot the thing. of people like stay where they are because it's easier just to be there than it is to be like, okay, so now I have to become self-aware and I have to keep recognizing these patterns and I have to keep bringing myself back over and over and over again. Whereas it's easier to just fall back into the pattern and let it play itself out. Yeah. I love that you specified that because that's precisely what I meant too. It's the action of taking radical self-responsibility and radical self-leadership towards the life we desire. It doesn't have to be actually hard, Mm -hmm. right? Inner work is is difficult at the beginning. Cause you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to rehatch it. I don't want to feel all those feelings that I happily suppressed for 20 years. Right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> this like numbness that we do this, this is, I just want to stay here. I'm not but happy, also, but it's easy. Right. I'm not yeah. happy. I don't have anything that I really desire in my life, but I really don't want to go there. You know, but when we start to allow ourselves to feel truly feel we also allow ourselves to truly dream and then we can kind of it's like then you have radical self-awareness radical self-responsibility and radical self-leadership and once you once you're on to that once you know what that is it's like damn it there is no going back yeah 
I like, I like the analogy of like starting a diet. It's like, you're unhealthy. You don't feel good. You're not sleeping well. You have all of these problems and you're like, but it's easier just to keep on my diet and keep feeling bad, mm-hmm. which is what so many people do on this journey. It's like, well, it's easier just to deal with the symptoms and not change my diet than it is mm-hmm. to go through having to change my diet, which isn't always comfortable and getting healthy, but then actually becoming that. And so yeah. many people, or they want a quick fix. And this is one thing I'm like, there's no quick fixes in life. And this is, I, I, I know you touched on this at the beginning, but kind of what I see a lot in the coaching community is like, oh, here, I'm going to sell you this quick fix. It's like, Mm-mm. nope, you got to be committed. You got to keep showing up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah I, I always say if it's a five-step process run. I like, think I have a five-step process. It's like kidding. a circle. It's like you're going to keep coming back around. Right. You keep right. repeating but, it over and over and over again. It's not boom, 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 done. No. Right. My favorite yeah. is like three steps to 10K. First of all, it's no, it's, that's not real, right? Three steps to healing your inner child. Also not real. Yeah. There are no, none of this is like, you just climb a ladder and you're there. None it's of not it. linear. It's like, it's very circular and, and ever evolving. And it's like, also yeah. all over the map. Right. You know, and I think it's also such a beautiful process. I wouldn't have changed. I wouldn't have changed it for the world. I was a guest on, on another podcast yesterday and um, that was a relationship podcast. And so it was like, let's just open Pandora's box on every unhealthy relationship I've had in my life. And that's what I said at the end though, you know, it it took all of that and all of the pain and all of the difficulty to really wake up to my own desires out of this life. And once I could really clearly know what it is that I wanted and what kind of woman I wanted to be, then there was no going back from that. It was like, I was so committed to myself and my evolution that I've been doing this every day for 10 years. And, you know, everybody's afraid of change. But when the change is to get you to exactly what you want, it's it's a beautiful process. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, this is something I reflect on often. And I think for a while I've really been here. When people ask if there's one thing you could change about your past, what would it be? And the answer for me is always nothing. Mm-hmm. right? Like I've had terrible relationships. I've been through some shit experiences. I've had tough decisions to make. I've been through it, but I wouldn't change a thing mm-hmm. because I love the person that I am now. And I just keep falling more and more in love with her every day. And sure. Could another journey, you know, have gotten me here? Absolutely. And all of those things have gifted me with so much knowledge, so much wisdom, the ability to see into myself in a way that had, you know, if I were to go back and change something, I could be completely different. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really beautiful place to find yourself in too, where you can finally look back on your life and say, there's nothing I would change instead of dwelling on the past and be like, well, if only I had done this, or if only I had done this. Um, So I agree completely. I was just going to say, leave us with, you know, a final thought and I will give you space that that was a beautiful final thought, right? It's like, I love myself more and more every day because I've walked this journey, but (laughs) excuse me, as an embodiment coach and an identity coach, if there's somebody listening to this going like, I don't even know where to begin. 
what would you say to them? Self-awareness. So really, really, and my journey is so fascinating because my journey now, I've really moved into this place of practicing like radical presence, Mm. but for a long time, it was deep self-awareness. And I realized recently, I'm like, I've I've really shifted away in my own space from talking a lot about self-awareness. And I asked myself why, and I think that self-awareness feeds into presence, but I think that they're different. Self-awareness can still really be about the mind and embodiment is really about bringing yourself into the body because that is where you are in the now. That is where you release to the ego attachments, where you release yourself from the past, where you free yourself from trying to plan for the future or find fulfillment in the future. And you can really be everything that you want for yourself right now. But to me, the first process in that journey is being self-aware. And I talk to a lot of people who are like, well, I'm self-aware. I'm like, I love you. And you're not (laughs) like to an extent, it's like actually in the moment, making a conscious decision to watch everything that you do and you're going to slip from it. Right. I'm not perfect, but the more you continue to practice it, the more you continue to see the patterns. And I think that until you actually experience it, it's hard to believe that it's possible and it's hard to understand. It's one of those, when you know, you know, I used to hate that. And as I've been on this journey, like there are so many things that I could not know from reading a book. You could tell me up, down, backwards, and sideways, all of the different ways I could experience this, but you have to actually be in the moment and experience it to understand it. And when you really start developing that self-awareness, just the ability to watch yourself. And it can even start with reflection. So I started with just reflecting and setting the intention to be aware of maybe a specific behavior throughout my day. But when you do that and you start to catch yourself in the moment, little shifts will begin happening because you'll find yourself catching behaviors, emotions, thought patterns that you weren't previously aware of. And in that moment, you can shift it. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a powerful tool that really will kickstart your journey. So it's, and I like, I like to be very efficient. So I'm like, this isn't something that take, you don't have to go sit and meditate for an hour a day. You don't have to, you can set the intention in the morning to be aware about something. Maybe it's just general awareness and you can spend some time five minutes in the evening before bed. You don't even have to write it down, just reflecting on your day. And that will help to build that. I love that so much. And I I love that you're like you, the, the more you do it, the more you can catch yourself in the moment. And that is so, so true. Um, and I'm a firm believer as well, that self-awareness is necessary in order to be able to take the next step in the journey of, you know, shifting. So uh, I adore you. I think you're fantastic and I appreciate you so much and I appreciate your openness and your honesty in this communication. Diane, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, I hope you love yourself fiercely and fully today and every day. I'll see you on the next episode.